This is Tim Page, and... And I'm Nadia Sirota, host of Q2 Music's Meet the Composer. We have season three coming your way next week. But until then, we're continuing with our Blast from the Past, featuring conversations from the original show Meet the Composer, hosted by Tim Page on WNYC in the 1980s. So in listening to um, your old Meet the Composer episodes, one of the things I've noticed is that there seems um, to have really been a pretty stark difference between the composers from the East Coast and composers from the West Coast. Yes, I I would certainly agree with that. I would also say there was a huge difference between, uh, you know, Aaron Copeland. And Paul Simon. There was definitely a division between East Coast and West Coast, but but I would say that there was a bigger division between very chromatic composers and those who were rediscovering in one form of another the tonal language. Nevertheless, The question of geography did come up in Tim's 1985 interview with the composer Libby Larson. There is a strange form of provincialism in this country, which seems to suggest that all the music is either being written somewhere around New York City or a great Eastern University or somewhere out in some retreat on the West Coast. And I think as a result, a great deal of very interesting music from the heartland has not been heard. Now, you have chosen to settle in Minneapolis, and you've had really quite a career there, and you've been very involved in the state of the arts in Minnesota. Uh, Why, besides the beauty and the splendid things about the city? Well, I love the beauty and the splendid things about the city. It's a city that's built around lakes and a city of seasons. There's a real theater of seasons in Minnesota and a theater of extremes, which is important to me as an artist. It's equally important to me as a business person in the arts to work in an environment where performance of contemporary works is part and parcel of the attitude of an audience and a performing organization. The Twin Cities, in the last 15 years, the critical time for me, uh, making my decision, should I move to New York, should I move to Los Angeles, should I become a coast composer, centered around performance in the Twin Cities. The cultural climate there is one that each and every orchestra, every choir, every school, band, and orchestra makes it a practice of, believe it or not, performing contemporary music. To me, it's extremely important to keep working with performance and just perform and perform and perform the works so that I can learn about the kind of composition I'm interested in. (laughs) 
what I liked about her perspective is that it was pretty pragmatic about the musical scene. She was trying to figure out, you know, how to make her career go. Yeah, on some level, there has to be a careerist in there, whether it is the composer himself or herself, whether it is the mate, whether it is some publisher. Somebody has to get out there and kind of shake people and say, you know, this is important. Some people were utterly brilliant about this. Virgil Thompson was a amazing careerist, and I say that without any kind of put-down of Virgil, but I remember one time I asked him if he could only take a few recordings to that proverbial desert island out there, what recordings he would take, what scores he would take. And he looked at me as if I was crazy and said, my own, of course. (laughs) So getting back into this great archival interview with Libby Larson, Tim addresses the idea of sexism in classical music in a kind of an interesting way. It's almost a trope, you know, female musicians being asked what it feels like to be a woman in the field. And uh, when asked what it felt like to be a female conductor, the great Nadia Boulanger replied, I've been a woman for a little over 50 years and have gotten over my initial astonishment. As for conducting an orchestra, that's a job where I don't think sex plays much part. But it still stands that Western classical music has undeniably been dominated by white men for a huge percentage of its history. Uh, I think if you went up to somebody on the street and asked them to name their favorite serious woman composer, many of them would hesitate for quite a while before answering. If they could answer that question at all. It's true that women have been composing since music has been notated on paper. Uh, And before that, there are many women troubadours and trouvères. But... Unfortunately, history has written most of the women out of even the footnotes of composition. Was it just plain old sexism? or At the risk of sounding a little acid about it, I think it was plain old sexism. A lot of the music that was sanctioned as recordable historic music took places in the churches, and women were exclusively barred from any kind of musical participation in any of church musical services. So those women who were writing and performing were mostly of the folk tradition, mostly of the vocal folk tradition, and simply have not gotten their names into the history books. We're now beginning to uncover lots and lots and lots of women composers who were just simply left out. I think in this century, there are more women composers who are making their way because of the academic system. And what I mean is the academic public school system, not the private schools. Mm -hmm. But within the last 30 years, public universities, University of Michigan, University of Minnesota, have all gotten graduate schools with composition masters and PhDs who, because they are federally funded, must admit women. Women have been admitted, have learned the tools of the trade, and have also taken advantage of the performances offered in colleges and universities. So we're seeing more women composers. You know what's crazy? I've never thought of Title IX 
the law that requires that publicly funded universities not discriminate based on sex, I've never thought of that as a key step towards gender equality among composers. But this really makes sense. This interview is from only 30-some years ago, and it's kind of a fascinating insight. These days, Libby Larson is still an active composer and still living in Minnesota, and we thought we'd end the show with something a bit more contemporary. This is a piece called Full Moon in the City, and it's from 2013. Meet the Composer was produced by Tim Page and Allison Chernow. Charles Passy and John Crickler were associate producers. Engineers for this series were Alana Pelzig, Chris Say, and Jane Pippick. Links to all the music featured on today's show are available at q2music.org slash meetthecomposer. Special thanks to Tim Page and the WNYC Archives for making this show possible. And many thanks to New Music USA for their flexibility with the use of the Meet the Composer name, which became famous through their legacy organization founded by composer John Duffy. This episode was produced by Nadia Sirota, Mead Bernard, Alex Overington, and John Hanrahan, with help from Carol Ann Chung and Donnie Green. Meet the Composer's executive producer is Alex Ambrose. Meet the Composer is available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>